Everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Don't forget about our good friends at The Warehouse. Tom, been calling in all show. He's going to jump in with us tomorrow as well, breaking down great deals. He's live today from the Orem location. Don't miss all those great calls. They're always fantastic and uh, full of savings. It's The Warehouse, 86 East University Parkway in Orem, 1967 South. 300 West in uh, Salt Lake City. We're going to talk to Mike Snar coming up here momentarily. Uh, Mike uh, has written a, a book about the jazz. And so we're going to talk to Mike in a second. I know, but your microphone's on there, Austin. We can hear. Yeah, so yeah, we've I got that. Uh, yeah, oh, good. Just in our ears, okay. not on air. That's okay. a good thing, considering what he said. I was trying to. I was trying to keep my eye on the ball and and tease our guest, but that was getting a little. That was getting a little difficult. But anyway, Mike has written a book, Long Shots and Layups, uh, Memories and Stories from the Golden Era of the Utah Jazz. Mike spent 28 years uh, with the franchise. And in fact, let's uh, get out to the Sprint special guest line. Sprint, they make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Again, that book title, Long Shots and Layups, Memories and Stories from the Golden Era of the Utah Jazz. Joining us now, author of that book, uh, he he is Mike Snar with us here on the Big Show. Mike, how are you? I'm good. Good to be with you. Uh, great to have you on the show. Uh, you spent 28 years with the Utah Jazz, and you uh, put together all your memories and uh, and stories. It had to be a real fun project for you to do. It was a great project. It uh, uh, it really just started out as a, a memoir for my kids about uh, uh, my career, the, the the front office side of things, and. As I started to write it, I, all these memories came back of what the team did and and um, things I'd seen or heard. And uh, and so I added that in and sent it to a couple people, and they said, you ought to publish this. So, so I did. So the question becomes, well, first of all, people love stories. You know, they <laughs> love the anecdotes. <laughs> What what do you have in there, Mike? Give us one example of something good, a nice nugget that people will whet their appetite and then oh, be eager I got, to buy I've, the book and read it. Well, I've got so many stories that uh, um, that are that I think are pretty interesting and and, and that people don't know. Um, I went to work for him in 1986, and I always joke that uh, Del Curry and I were hired by the Jazz the same year. We just didn't uh, work in the same department, but. Um, in the front office, I just saw so many things happen that uh, were I, I just thought sort of telling about the organization and how we were structured and the commitment to winning. A quick story, um, uh, and I've told this, but uh, it's um, John and Carl and the team are back in uh, in October for uh, I'm not sure what year this was, but uh, and Jerry Jerry Sloan is the one that told me the story. They're back, the team's together. They're having their, one of their first workouts. <clears throat> and um, uh, John and Carl are competing so hard in the in the uh, in the practice that Jerry stops practice and says, "Hey, you guys, come on! I don't want anybody to get hurt. We're just we're just starting." I mean, imagine Jerry saying, "Hey, uh, slow down a little." So he actually benches John and Carl and continues with the practice with them out of the practice. So a few minutes later, he looks over 
and John and Carl are on the stationary bikes riding. So he says, that's okay. You know, that's good. I'm, I'm glad to see that. A little bit, little bit later, he looks over, and the two of them are competing so hard that John is looking at uh, Carl's screen and vice versa, and they're each dialing up the, the, the speed and the, and the intensity of the workout. And finally, Jerry has to stop practice again and uh, tell him to hit the showers. So uh, um, there, there were two uh, players that actually got thrown out of practice <laughs> by their coach for the wrong, for the right reasons, you know. <laughs> so um, lots of things happen like that. Uh, Mike, talk about the growth of, of not only the Jazz but the NBA. You mentioned when you uh, started with the with the franchise and Larry Miller when he initially bought it. I, I believe the price tag was somewhere around seventeen million dollars, and the franchise mm-hmm. today is worth north of a billion dollars. And the NBA has <laughs> obviously exploded. And you were right there on the front lines for all of that growth. Talk about the the growth and evolution of the franchise in the league. Well, uh, it was interesting to watch and, and then to be part of it because I remember when the team came to town in 1979. I wasn't with the team; I wasn't working for them, but um, it was you know it was so exciting to go to games and there were four or five, six thousand people at the first games and uh, the team struggled. And of course, there's the famous Dominic uh, Wilkins uh, draft choice and the, the the exchange for about a million dollars to, to keep the team here. And then slowly um, the fans started to rally. And I remember uh, David Stern said, you'll never make it. The team, the, the, the franchise won't last in Utah with uh, four colleges nearby and, you know, a small population. And it was just a great tribute to the fans to see uh, the fan or to the team and, and the community to see them rally around everything. And then um, it was great to, to see how Larry just hung in there and just, uh, uh, battled it and uh, eventually got the arena deal and I mean it was just uh, it's an incredible story and and uh, I remember when I first worked for him there were rumors that hey the, uh, you know Larry's got an offer from Minnesota and I, and I don't know how substantive substantive that was but uh, uh, it never happened you know I think Larry felt like he was committed to the community and and he uh, he stayed the course so um, and then, and then it was just kind of fun to watch things start to happen team starts to make the playoffs, and then we, we draft Thurl, I think, in 83, and John in 84, and Carl in 85, uh, and all of a sudden, we're, uh, we're, we're the real deal. You mentioned the arena. Jake and I were talking about this earlier in the show, the importance of having that building built. Uh, what, what did you observe with how important that was to anchor the franchise here? Well, we wouldn't be here if that if they hadn't. And I think Larry knew that he had to build the building, or we couldn't survive in the in the in the Salt Palace with twelve thousand seats. And uh, that was one of the things that Stern was was very uh, pointed about. You you know you just can't you can't play in front of twelve thousand fans. We're going to be we're going to be much bigger than that. You you've got to be part of this. So I think uh, Larry knew he had to do it, and uh, all the work that, that went into getting it done, getting the city involved, and. Getting approval was uh, was pretty uh, gigantic. I I started working for them when they were in the Salt Palace, and you know what a what a drastic change. And it was it was great in the Salt Palace. We, we eventually got to twelve thousand uh, people, and it was it was full and and uh, it was fun. But it wasn't anything like uh, moving into the arena. That was that was a good day. That was a good day for Utah. 
With no sports, Mike. Mike Snar is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's It's been interesting to see what the sports community latches onto. And one of those things, of course, is the Last Dance uh, docuseries about Michael Jordan and that final year there with the Bulls. And as we know, the Jazz are going to play a big part uh, in this whole story. Your thoughts on that docuseries if you're watching it and, uh, you know, that finals, the Jazz, the Bulls for year number two. Yeah, I... Uh, um I've got some time, so uh, I am watching it pretty intently. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's really uh, fascinating, I, I think. And you you guys mentioned uh, uh, maybe earlier in the week about how Jordan's sort of orchestrating it, and he you know the the documentary, and he's had a big hand in how it looks, and I think that's true. But I also think things have come out that maybe he wasn't planning on uh, some of the some of the stories and some of the. Uh, uh, backstories that have come from other players about what's happened. I, I read a story uh, today about um, Horace Grant, how uh, how uh, Jordan wouldn't let him have uh, dinner on on the plane after after one of the games that he didn't play well, and he said, "Hey, he doesn't deserve dinner. Don't serve him dinner." You know, I'm not sure Jordan wanted all of that on the table, but uh, I think it's a fascinating series. And, and you're right; it's just a it's it's I'm, I can't wait for those final two episodes about the, the 97 98 finals, particularly the 98 finals. That'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, Jordan's take on that. It's apparent in watching that, and those of us who lived through that period of time, we we know it already. But this is a reminder that the game has changed; that the physicality of the game is different these days. Has that affected the competitiveness in the league? Because, you see, we always talk about how after the game you see guys over there exchanging jerseys and patting each other Mm -hmm. and and, and being all friendly and fraternizing and all that stuff. Is the competitive level what it was back in the 90s? Um, I think it is, but in a different way. I think it is more of a, and I don't know how you say this, a gentleman's game, but, but boy, you still see... Um, <laughs> you see the fire uh, and and uh, the intensity in a in a playoff series. I I was really looking forward to uh, uh, if it lined up that way. OKC and, and the Jazz. I mean that's been a, a fascinating uh, series with Donovan and Rudy and all the guys. I, those have been great games and intense and you know some some uh, uh, real physicality, but. It was different uh, in that era, and uh, players could do so much to um, um, really uh, – and they got away with so much. And I mean, I just uh, – I, I don't know that they could ever match that intensity again. And, and uh, it, it got nasty. I mean, it really got nasty. I think the league's trying to prevent that or control it a little bit. But that nastiness uh, – uh, you see that in the rivalries, you, you know. I, I mean, the first thing I think of is Carl's uh, shot to Isaiah Thomas in the lane that night uh, when they when we played the Pistons, and, and you think about some of the other uh, physical moments. Uh, it was it was a different era, and it was highly competitive. What do you think made Larry Miller such a good sports owner? Um, uh, you know what, Larry was as competitive as <laughs> as anybody. Uh, you know, like Jordan, like Stockton, like Malone, and, and he was so competitive. He, um, he, <laughs> he was right there. You know, and I think just he—I'm not sure how much he—he um, he watched the Jazz before he got involved. But once once he got involved, he was hooked. And he, you know, he was a great softball player, and and 
very competitive guy. So he was right there with him. Um, you know, and I don't want to really bring this up, but of course the the story that that happened when uh, uh, Larry choked the Denver fan. You know, that, that, how competitive is that? You know, yeah, <laughs> when, you, when you do that. that you're in it to win. <laughs> I had the occasion uh, of uh, sitting next to Larry during a game on one night, and I'm telling you what, I, I got an education about his comp- competitiveness oh, on he, that occasion. I mean, yeah. I, didn't even, I didn't really talk to him much because he was so freaking into it. <laughs> and, uh, and I walked away with more respect. Even I always yeah. respected Larry, but, man, he, he, his care factor was – off the charts. Speaking of that, let me ask you about the culture of the Jazz. Do you, people talk a lot about culture on a team, on a franchise. Have you noticed any difference? What was it like back in the day of Jerry Sloan and, and Carl and John versus the way it is now with with Quinn and and uh, Donovan and Rudy? Uh, is it the same? Is it different? Uh, wh- what do you note there? That's a, that's a great question. I think it's pretty close. I think it. I think the culture has always been sort of a unique thing in sports. Um, there is a spirit of teamwork. I think that is that that emanates from the top down, and it involves all the Jazz front office and the team. Um, you know, there's there's just a competitiveness, but there's but there's also a real love for the game and and a respect for each other. Um, I think uh, you know Jerry was was fantastic, um, but but um, Quinn's right there. You, you know, I'll give you a quick example of the culture uh, that in shoot arounds. I used to take clients once in a while into a shoot around, and it was really interesting to watch the Jazz. The Jazz always came into the shoot around, shoes laced up, jerseys tucked in. And, you know, a shoot-around isn't a full-born practice, as you know. Maybe listeners don't know that, but it's a game day kind of an event, so they don't want to beat the players up. They want them to be ready for that night. So they run through plays and practice shots and all that. So it's, it's a little bit loose, but at the same time, Jerry had it really buttoned up, and then they would run all the, the plays of the opposing team. Well, um, I've seen other teams do shoot-arounds. I saw Detroit do a shoot-around in our arena, and that day Chuck Daly brought his team in, and um, Vinny uh, Johnson, I think Vinny the microwave, wasn't it Vinny Johnson that yeah. uh, played for them? He wore uh, cut-off Levi's and a pair of cowboy boots. And um, so that shows you how serious they were about practicing. And uh, they spent about 10 minutes on the court, and then Chuck got them back in the bus and they left. Um, so it, there was just that sort of – there was a cultural feeling there that, that I don't know how many teams uh, emanate that. Uh, or emulate that, but um, uh, I had a chance before I retired to watch um, Quinn run a, a shoot around, and I tell you, it was pretty close. Uh, intensity wise, uh, uh, Quinn was right there. Quinn actually uh, uh, put a shot clock on the on the uh, wall of the uh, practice of the Zions Bank Basketball Center, and he uh, started running that 30 minutes before. And you probably know this, 30 minutes before the, the practice started, when that thing hit zero, boy, everybody was on the court and they were ready to go. And Jerry kind of ran the same kind of um, uh, feel with uh, shoot-arounds. So um, it, was a, it was a culture that I think um, is still there. 
All right, the book is Long Shots and Layups, Memories and Stories from the Golden Era of the Utah Jazz. He is our friend Mike Snar with us here on The Big Show. And, Mike, absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. We'll have to have you back again soon. I'd love to do it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Mike. Mike Snar. That's fun, Gordon. It's it's fun, you know, getting some of those uh, those stories, those memories and observations from somebody who was on the inside for all those years. I like the comparisons between the way it was and the way it is. And it's 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 interesting to hear him say that it's quite similar, actually. And I think that's a compliment. In some ways, in some ways, it's got to be really different just for like staff size alone. I mean, you know what? It was uh, Coach Chiesa, Jerry, Phil. The bus is more crowded now. <laughs> yeah, there's so many assistants and so many, you know, uh, uh, trainers and, and uh, scouts and and uh, all those sorts of things. So. Who well, knows? A little different. Maybe that's uh, why the Jazz are able to develop some of the players the way they have, that they have guys who are working one-on-one with them, helping them uh, you know, uh, get, 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 get better and better as time goes by. I think that's probably a pretty solid investment. Austin tweeted out a uh, link, by the way, to the book if you want to purchase it. Maybe there's a Jazz fan mom out there for Mother's Day. Or maybe you'd be interested as well, but uh, we did retweet that. Uh, you can follow Austin at Austin Horton. David Locke coming up next on The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I'm here to introduce the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about from the guys you know and trust. Go Turn it up. You're listening to The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding members forward for over 80 years. Yeah, yeah. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to talk to David Locke coming up here momentarily. We'll get his thoughts on the Jazz potentially going back to the practice facility. Gordon, we know it's not going to happen tomorrow. Dennis Lindsay told uh, told us he was going to wait uh, a couple of days till they had their ducks in a row, but I would imagine it's going to be sometime in the very near future. Well, I think this is a good time to, for uh, discretion to uh, to take uh, to, to, to carry a heavy hand. And uh, the Jazz will do it the right way. I, I have full confidence in that. Yeah, I, I think they've taken this very seriously from the beginning, and I wouldn't expect that to change now. I mean, as a, I say, as a franchise, not just the NBA, I mean, the, the Jazz specifically have taken this very seriously. And, you know, when you say that, it takes us back to that uh, that night when, uh, like, a month and a half ago. When, Almost when two it months all started, now. man. Yeah. yeah, two months, man. Just crazy when you think about that. The Jazz were at the center of the freaking universe at that time. All right, let's jump out of the Sprint special guest line. Sprint, they make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Joining us now, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. He's our good friend, David Locke. Hello, David. Hey, guys. How are you? Hey, we're doing, doing great, well. man. Yeah, Jake, you're doing well. I'm doing well. Yeah, terrific. Well. My apologies on yesterday. I screwed up. How's that? That's no good excuse. Had, you, just screwed you up. Had, you had important stuff to do. That's. Uh, I did. I got. I got distracted. I got to see an old friend. You know, David. Let me ask you about. Uh, we were just talking with Mike Star Star about his memories mm, of the jazz dude. and uh, all the stuff he's compiled. I guess in a book, and it made me think of you. Uh, you've been studying this team for a long, long time. 
if you were to single it down to one or two stories, one or two anecdotes that are most memorable to you in your years being around covering the jazz, being a part of it, what would you, uh, how would you answer that? Oh my, I have a terrible memory. So that's, um, I don't know if I can do this. Um, I got to think Jeremiah Jensen, he has put together the most awesome Twitter feed. I must've spent like two hours on it last night. Just going back through highlights. I mean, and and I and even better is my hair is in a bunch of the pictures. Um, <laughs> never my it's always my hair and my oversized forehead that is in a few of the shots in the media sections. What would be? Uh, I mean, I think you'll never forget getting off the plane and having all the people there after Stockton shot in Houston. Um, and I mean, having Jim Rome at the Galvin Center would be. But those, I mean, those are kind of the same year. That's the first time through. I mean, that was a pretty special time when we built then 1320K fan up and all of us were together and we were a little younger and kind of, I was insane and might be still, but I was really insane. Um, so I, I mean, I, you know, those, that, that run, I mean, that, that run is filled, whether it's a dinner with David Halberstam or dinners with Mark Schwartz and, and, um, David Aldridge and Dwayne Price and just the whole media, um, just being in the midst of that NBA Finals was just, I mean, that two-year run was just, particularly as a 27, 28-year-old trying to make his way in the business, like that was that was pretty insane. Um, um, my biggest memories, jazz-related. Um, since I've come back, I mean, the Jerry night was pretty incredible. Like you knew something was going on. We were on the air. Jerry never came out. Like that was pretty wild. Um, you know, I mean, doing your personally doing the first game, replacing hot rod was like, I'm not sure I took it. And then hot rod joining me when we retired all of his numbers, hot rod joined me on the broadcast. I'm really certain I wasn't breathing then. What was the first can, broadcast like, David, when you were replacing the legend? Well, the first one I ever did was actually in Toronto. He didn't make the trip to Toronto to do a jazz game. Um, and then the first one, you know, what's interesting is the on that, just to sh- on a personal note, is you do the preseason. So I'm terrified during the preseason. Like, the preseason, like, that's when I had all my nerves. And, like, by the time we got to the regular season, so that's, like, the ninth game you've called. And all the media then was walking up to me wanting to know my feeling and emotion about replacing Hot Rod. Like, in my mind, I'd have done it. You know, I'd already called eight games. I remember that kind of – that juxtaposition. I mean, I was just scared. I mean, like, I'd done it before. I, I You know you're – it's a weird thing. You know you're never going to have – be as good as or have the same role or have the same importance with the fan base as the person whose job you're – you know, you're, t- you're replacing them and you're not replacing them in the sense that like they, like he retired, it wasn't unwilling. So it, but it's a weird dynamic, right? And you're just, um, um, so, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's insecure and inferior and scared. I mean, it's all those emotions, like, and you're fulfilling your life dream all at the same time. So it's very strange. The night hot rod died. Um, 
that one's pretty vivid, like, because I couldn't say um, I am a little bit of a crier, um, but I could not say Utah Jazz Radio Network that night. Like, I just couldn't say it, like, because in my mind, every time I say it, I hear Hot Rod, even to even to the day. And on that night when I tried to say it, every time I I couldn't I couldn't do it, so I had to go to break differently that night because the first two times I tried to say it, I broke down. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Those are some of them. That's not very happy, but um, I don't know. Like, that's a weird question. I wasn't ready for that. David, how big of uh, like? Big... Am I retiring? Like, am I done? Am I getting fired? Is it over? We're never calling radio again. Like, Jesus! And it's yeah. not over. In fact, maybe a, a small sign this week that we could get something back. Practice facilities, players are allowed to go starting tomorrow. The Jazz uh, is still going to take a couple additional days. But how how good a news is that? How big a deal is that in your mind? I don't actually see that. I don't see that as a very important. Maybe I'm really wrong on this. Um, I see that as a necessity because if we're going to ever move back, we can't have our players working out in public facilities. So we need to open ours to give them the private facilities, which are safer than going in theory, than going to a big public gym. Um, so that's all I see that as the stories that are much more important to me are what let's like, let me see what this proposal of the baseball players are about to throw the union. Let me see the Miami Dolphins stadium lineup. Um, I'm talking to some people in the NBA and realize that like every team figured out how they're going to put fan, like what their stadium allotments are going to be and how the stadiums are going to look and what they're going to do until there's a vaccine for social distancing. Those things are really encouraging to me um, much more than the facility. Um, I think, you know, baseball is really interesting. They seem to have moved away from the bubble in Arizona and Florida from a little bit I read today. And so they're going to try to, because the players didn't want to be away from their families and quarantined all the time. So they may try to travel and have games in regular stadiums just without fans. And I would say if we're having games in regular stadiums without fans, then we're not that far away from having fans. You, that, that's, I think that's, you know, there's logistics to it, but we can do that that's the next step, right? Like it's open baseball, particularly it's open air. Um, most of them, I think almost all of them are open air. Um, and so like the Miami dolphins proposal had 25% of the crowd of the fans seats filled. I've talked to some people around the NBA. That seems to be kind of the, the going right into other NBA cities. Not, I don't know anything about what the jazz are doing, um, that I've talked to. Um, so if, you know, okay, so that's, that's, 4,000 and or four or five, you know, 4,000 or 5,000 of 20. Well, okay, let's just do two. Let's just do, you know, let's do 1,500. Let's start it somewhere. Like I, those are the things that I think progressively can go. I thought Adam Silver's did an interview this week that was really interesting. And I was just actually on a conference um, about, you know, the ingenuity of what people are doing. It's pretty incredible in regards to, you know, so what do we do with the broadcast and how do we, if we don't have fans, well, Maybe we put up huge screens like the NFL drafted and actually have live people in Zoom conference type things watching the game and reacting and so that you actually are getting some interaction um, or seeing things in those screens. From a broadcast standpoint, are we suddenly going to actually have these totally unbelievable broadcasts because um, we can use robocams everywhere. We can actually have cameras and seats that we never used to have because there aren't going to be people in them. Are we actually going to get a more intense view to the broadcast than we've ever had before? And maybe it's going to be from a fan experience, you know, frankly, for the amount of fans, you know, most of our fans never go to a game in an arena. So maybe we're going to make the fan, the game, fan experience a million times better because the broadcasts are going to be, are, are going to have better camera angles and, and better insight. So I think, 
you know, there's there's a lot of things that are taking place right now, and there's a lot of work being done by a lot of really brilliant people, and Adam Silver's at the forefront of it, but you've got great leaders here in our city and in and most of these other cities that are running these franchises, the brightest of the bright, and um, and so I think there's a lot of really exciting things that are taking place to 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 where we might go next and and how it's going to it's going to be different like i think we've got to wrap our head around that like it's the, it's different like the world's different We're, like this this bizarre to me personally what i'm finding really really frustrating uh and this is not as positive a comment okay the world has changed on us like it's this is significant it's not a, it's not made up it's not fake look at new york it's not like, come on, people! Like, this is no one's making this crap up. Like, the, people are dying. Like, it's real, and we have to alter how we're doing things. So, you know, one of my favorite parts about calling the game and our broadcast that is, I high five probably fifty fans out the door on a win. Well, we're not doing, it. and then I put a hand sanitizer on. Yeah, well, I'm not doing that anymore. Right? We're not doing that. But we're going to do something different, right? We're going to find a different way. It's going to be a point. It's going to be something. We'll find our new tradition. We do. That's what we do. But we've got to be willing to embrace the fact that it's changing and it's different. It's going to be new. And maybe that means that for the next two years, we've got, you know, 5,000 fans in the stadium instead of 19,000. And it's a different experience. But maybe that also means that we got better TV angles and going to a game's even more special. Instead of going to 30 games a year, you go to 10, and they're really special. I mean, it's just wrapping your brain around it with a positive attitude toward whatever the new is. David, do you uh, do you ever picture in your mind as you're calling a game the reaction of the listener? Because what you just said reminded me of that. I wonder if fans react differently at home or in the car or wherever they are as opposed to when they're in the arena. You know, and do you when you're when you're speaking to people about the game, what do you picture in your mind's eye? So I think I've said this publicly a few times. Every night before the game starts, I write down on a piece of paper a listener. Sometimes it's someone I know who I know is listening. Sometimes it's and depending on the night and the crowd and the listener, I try to envision them differently. So if we're in New York and it's a five o'clock start, then it's then it's, you know, Jake driving home from work, right? Or it's, it's you know, so I'm thinking to myself, okay, male, 34, um, fan, driving home, going to watch the game on TV. And so I would call the first half of that game with the thought that I'm giving them information and things that they can watch in the second half. Laker game, 8.30 at night. Okay, anybody who really wants to watch it on TV probably can get to TV unless they're working a night shift or there's someone who really loves Ron and I. So I've got a diehard on that night. I'm going to go a little stat heavier. I'm going to give a little bit more kind of lock, like some of the signature stuff that people expect from me on that night that they might not get otherwise, um, because that's that broadcast. And so I think about that every night. I think about and so yeah, absolutely. Each night I'm talking to one person who is the person I'm broadcasting the game to that night. David, we appreciate it as always. Thanks for jumping on, and we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks. My apologies on yesterday, guys. That was bad. All good, buddy. Appreciate you jumping on today. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Interesting stuff. Do you think fans react more aggressively or more animatedly at home than they do in the arena? Depends on the fan. I, I, mean, think, I think some fans really enjoy yelling when there's a chance that they will actually be heard. And then I think <laughs> that there are those fans that can cut loose at home because they're not embarrassed by their behavior. Yeah, that's what, 
That's what I picture. I picture the guy that's yelling at his TV screen, doing everything but throwing a brick at it and saying all kinds of things. Unless, of course, his family members there, they might be a little more careful with it. But uh, I, I imagine that <laughs> – can you – Okay, so if you're beaming the image of fans on their couch in their TV den or their man cave back into the arena, I wonder what that would look like. I don't know. I don't know if we'll find out. Seems well, real complicated. If technology continues on, maybe maybe it's uh, more realistic than what we think. All right, let's get out of the zone phone. Joining us now, our good friend from the warehouse, blowing minds with the best deals in town. He's our friend Tom from the warehouse. What's up, Tom? Yes. Hello. Tom, you with us? Hello. I'm here. All right, let's blow some minds, my friend. What's going on? Well, I just think that it's a Mother's Appreciation Weekend. Take care of the school teacher now in your life. Take care of the mom. Take care of your sweetheart and buy her a new adjustable bed. What better way to take some stress off of mom than giving her an incredible night's sleep? What a present that would be. So we're going to do some blowout deals, Jake. How about the queen? 175. This base is made by Enzo, one of the best manufacturers in the industry. We're going to give you a mattress and a base for four ninety nine. We're going to do the two seventy five. It's a step up, head up, foot up, with a nice uh, hybrid mattress called the Jupiter. How about seven ninety nine? Then, if you want the best, we're going to do the five seventy five with all the bells and all the whistles, uh, twenty four different settings for massage, USB, LED lights. Uh, it even has a memory setting where you can find your favorite spot and hit that memory. It goes right back to it. We'll do the entire deal with a latex, gel-infused, Harmony uh, hybrid mattress, the entire package, only twelve ninety nine. And then those who are wanting the King, I've got the King, solid King mattress with a solid King adjustable base, the entire package, only nine. And then if you want the Gordon Monson special, the Tranquility package, which will be uh, split king with an incredible mattress, LED lights, all the massage features, all the memory features with USBs, how about $24.99 instead of $7,000? Come and see us. We're going to be here tonight till 7. We'll be here every night this weekend, Friday and Saturday, till 7 o'clock. We are the warehouse. Boom. Take advantage of it. Thanks, Tom. You're the man. 86 East University Parkway in Orem, 1967 South, 300 West in Salt Lake. More of the big show coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Doc Talk coming up at the top of the 6 o'clock hour. Love it that we're doing that uh, pretty much every Thursday. Uh, it has been for the last several weeks anyway. It is the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott. And uh, we do have to, Austin has to render a ruling on the did Gordon prepare dinner front. Jeez, I, no pressure. I think the evidence does little, and I mean little, to confirm that Gordon actually prepared the whole dinner for his family. However, he has advocated quite... Uh, 
fiercely that that is indeed what happened. Gordon, do we want to do final statements or anything or or uh, uh, what do you want to do? All I can tell you is this, Your Honor, and gentlemen and women of the jury. It's just me. I know, but I thought you might be in touch with your feminine self over there and your masculine self. All right. I prepared the bison burgers, did it all, put it on the grill, had them just right, maybe a little bit undercooked, but I think they were they were they were sufficient. I sliced up the cheese. I sliced up the tomato. I I broke apart the lettuce. I cleaned it all up, ready to go. I got all the condiments out of the refrigerator, stacked them up, heated up the buns in the oven. I uh, made the salad. You know, I had the the spinach. I had the the coconut flakes. I had the candied pecans. I had the uh, poppy seed dressing. I mixed it all. I had it all. Per- it was beautiful. I got the chips. Okay, that was the easy part. And uh, I, I put together uh, a delectable, delectable key lime pie. And what do I get? I get ridicule. I get doubt. And it's offensive to me. My feelings are hurt. You have hurt my feelings, Jake Scott. All I can tell you is I put the effort in. I have my family as witnesses. They all stand behind me on this. And you, I knew this would happen. I knew you would cast doubt and try to shoot it all down. I rest my case in front of the uh, the jury, uh, Austin. And uh, all I can tell you is I gave a good, hard, honest effort. And I expect Jake to pay dearly with uh, incriminating audio. Okay, so yes, I should have explained the bet. The incriminating audio. I said I do incriminating audio of Gordon prepared dinner for his entire family and sent us video of it. And there was some video exchanged, however. And here's where I'll begin my final statement. That some of that might be true that that Gordon just laid out. However, the evidence does goes nowhere close to proving any of that. In fact, I still feel like the evidence supports more so my theory that Lisa did all of the work Not and that true. Gordon just curiously posed for a couple of well-positioned oh, videos. B.S. Uh, that is did not, not true. I object, Your Honor. We did not see the patties prepared. We didn't even see Gordon put the patties on or take them off of the grill. Well, do you want me to show you everything? I mean, it was pretty plain what I was doing there. I, I gave you I your to... statement. Can I have my statement, please? I'll hold you in contempt. None, none of this was <laughs> confirmed via the, the video evidence. Uh, in fact, I think the some of the details, like the patty, for instance, uh, remain curiously unconfirmed. And I've known Gordon for, uh, let's see, pretty near 20 years now, and never in my life would I have thought he got up from a show and say, you know what I feel like tonight? Baking a key lime pie. That never <laughs> That's not that's not even took key lime 15, isn't even in your vocabulary. It, it took all of 15 minutes. It was uh, smooth sailing. I got that except for I did get a little help on the whipped cream design around the edge. So, I think the choice for this is obvious. Oh, please. But I right, I choose right. to uh to uh surrender myself at the mercy of one Austin Horton right. his judgment. Here here's where here's how I will rule. Were okay, this your, your robe ship? Yes. Were this a, oh, let me close that rope, whoops. Were this a, a court of law in the grand uh, country of the United States of America, Gordon, you're cooked. You're not, not there's, there's, I'm filled with reasonable and I more beyond reasonable doubt that you may not have done this without zero help. 
the the slices of cheese were already sliced. The I tomatoes, sliced them. The tomatoes were already sliced. I sliced them. Not on video, there were, sir. There were large gaps between each stage of cooking between the videos. There was no video of beef being prepared or cooked other than you opening the grill and there they were golden and ready to be uh, served. Magically. Uh, However. It wasn't magical at all. The good news for you, Gordon, is that this is not a court of law. This is where I fall back on I know you and I trust you. Uh, and when I, when I, at, sir, when I read in the Solid Tribune that you, uh, where you, uh, you uh, point to a source giving you information, I trust you with my entire soul wholeheartedly, even if the evidence of my uneducated eye <laughs> leans towards it not being the case. I trust you, and therefore I rule. Let, let it be written. Let it be done. Jake Scott will hear forth. Give us incriminating audio tomorrow. Blame. This is stupid. Hallelujah. There, there is no proof. Order. Order. That was the worst ruling ever. Oh, Bailiff. Oh, get him out of here. Man. Oh, I need to brown nose Gordon so I'll say a bunch of nice <laughs> yeah. things and then rule in his favor. Ridiculous. Jake, if you were smart, yeah. you'd do it too. <laughs> who do yeah, I? Who do I appeal to for this? God Himself. I'm, I'm going to start writing my appellate brief because this is ludicrous. I think you. You know, it's just like it's just like the NFL. You appeal it to Austin. <laughs> all right, guy. I'll hear the appeal. No, well, let's go. Uh, all right, you're well, you're, you're toast. Uh, when? Oh, beautiful. When am if I recording anybody, this? If anybody has any uh, suggestions for incriminating audio for Jake, please send it in at Gordon Monson, at Austin Horton, at Jake Scott Zone. I just didn't know it was so easy for you to pull pull the wool over Austin's eyes like that. I'm Austin, no, Austin's nobody's trusting fool, man. Gordon. I, I'm, yeah. a, I'm ashamed. Oh, I, I don't want this to be twisted. The, the Gordon's evidence was garbage. Was, it, this was is very unfounded and, and baseless. But I trust the man. <laughs> All right. I can't believe I went to all that trouble, and that's the conclusion. You're so I'll, I'll switch the ruling. Take a win. Like, you got the W. What are you, you complaining right. about the ruling right now? Jake, you got trust issues, man. <laughs> Gordon, I'll talk to you tomorrow, buddy. All right. Doc Talks coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I knew that was about the end of it. So long, farewell, I'll be saying goodnight. I hate goodbyes. This thing is over. That'll do, Peggy.